Hi, I'm Graham Smith. I'm the chair of the Society of Obstetricians and Gynecologists with Canada's Academic Council, as well as the head of obstetrics and gynecology at Queen's University. We are doing this podcast to facilitate discussions on a variety of topics pertaining to the fields of obstetrics and gynecology in Canada and globally. This podcast is for you if you're a medical professional or if you have an interest in topics related to women's health. Our guest today is Dr. Amanda Black. Dr. Black is a professor of obstetrics and gynecology at the University of Ottawa. She works at the Ottawa Hospital and the Children's Hospital of Eastern Ontario. She completed medical training at the University of Western Ontario, University of Ottawa, and Queen's University, and holds a Master's of Public Health from Johns Hopkins University. She's an Associate Scientist at the Ottawa Hospital Research Institute and is the Dr. Elaine Jolly Chair in Women's Health Research. Dr. Black has taken on many roles at the local, provincial, and national levels, including leadership roles within the SOGC, where she is currently a member of the SOGC Board of Directors. She chaired the National Contraception Awareness Program for 10 years and is current chair of the SOGC's Sexual Health and Reproductive Equity Committee. Dr. Black has authored many national guidelines and has published in the areas of pediatric gynecology, contraception, and obstetrics. She is recognized nationally and internationally for her clinical ex expertise, providing expertise to the Public Health Agency of Canada, Health Canada, and Stats Canada, and has represented Canada at both the CDC and the WHO in the development of the medical eligibility criteria for contraception. Today, we are talking about coercion-free contraceptive care, and she is one of the authors of the SOGC Committee Opinion that was published in the September 2021 edition of the JOGC. Amanda, welcome to the SOGC's Women's Health Podcast, and thank you for taking the time to speak with us. Thank you, Graham. It's a pleasure to be here today to talk about this important and timely topic. So the United Nations and the WHO state that access to safe, voluntary family planning is a human right because it is essential for promoting gender equality, advancing the autonomy of women, and reducing poverty. From your experience, how can access to safe and voluntary family planning help patient outcomes? Well, from a global perspective, safe and voluntary access to contraception undoubtedly does exactly what the UN and WHO suggests. It promotes gender equality, autonomy, and reduces poverty. It provides individuals and families with the ability to plan the number of children they wish to have, as well as the timing of their families. And this ability may help individuals to achieve other life goals, both their own and those of their families. And it also reduces the potentially negative impact of an unintended pregnancy, recognizing, of course, that not all unintended pregnancies are unwanted. Now, these methods need to be safe, and the use of these methods should be voluntary because individuals should be able to choose their preferred method of contraception, taking in consideration their own health and social needs. Similarly, they must be able to decline contraception if they choose to do so. So what are some of the key elements that healthcare professionals should include when providing family planning care? When we're discussing quality and family planning care, there are several key elements that should be top of mind. These include having the ability to choose from a wide range of methods, having patient-provider relationships that are based on respect for informed choice, privacy, confidentiality, and the cultural and religious beliefs of the individual, making sure that we're utilizing evidence-based information on the effectiveness, risks, and benefits of the different contraceptive methods, having technically competent, trained healthcare providers, and of course, having convenient access to voluntary coercion-free contraceptive care. 
Informed decision-making is clearly important when it comes to contraception. What should a healthcare provider keep in mind when providing information about the different options? It is really important that healthcare providers respect an individual's autonomy. So respecting autonomy requires non-directive, non-judgmental counseling, advice, and information to enable individuals to make decisions that are best for them. So there is no one-size-fits-all method. And healthcare providers are responsible for conveying accurate, clear information and do that using language and tools that can be readily understood by the individual. So this, combined with non-coercive counseling, helps to facilitate full, free and informed decision making. If we talk about our rights-based family planning framework, the choice of contraception should be made by the woman herself based on information regarding safety, effectiveness, accessibility and affordability. And it is important to respect an individual's personal beliefs, their culture and their preferences as well as their ability to use the chosen contraceptive method. The use of highly effective methods of contraception is a pillar of unintended pregnancy prevention, and women cite effectiveness as one of the most important factors when choosing a contraceptive method. There are many ways healthcare providers can talk about contraception to their patients. What is the tiered effectiveness approach to family planning counseling? In the tiered effectiveness approach to family planning counseling, healthcare providers discuss the most effective contraceptive methods first and then talk about less effective methods. So think of this as your tier one, tier two, and tier three options, like the lines of a hockey team. So the most effective methods, the tier one methods, are long-acting reversible contraceptives, also known as LARCs, and that includes intrauterine contraceptives or implants. And then the other tier one methods are permanent contraception procedures, such as tubal ligation or male vasectomy. Of course, permanent methods would be reserved for individuals who are certain that they do not desire future pregnancy. But what we can't forget is that effectiveness is part of a larger framework of counseling and that counseling must address an individual's needs and goals, as well as the benefits, risks and side effects of the various contraceptive methods. So the tiered effectiveness approach is not meant to be directive or to assume that an, an individual should or will choose a particular contraceptive. It is only to provide a practical and pragmatic way to ensure that an individual considers all aspects of a given contraceptive method, including its effectiveness when making her choice. Permanent contraception, also known as sterilization, is one of the most effective methods of contraception. As you mentioned, this includes tubal ligation, bilateral self-injectomy, or male vasectomy. It has personal, social, and medical implications, though. How can we avoid coercion when counseling for permanent con conception procedures? Unfortunately, Indigenous women and other vulnerable populations have been sterilized involuntarily in Canada, and coercive contraception counseling targeting specific groups appears to be ongoing. Women report being pressured to undergo permanent contraception procedures for which they did not give free prior and informed consent. So the decision to have a permanent contraception procedure should be made without pressure or coercion. Coercive or forcible sterilization represents a human rights violation. It's unethical and it should never be performed. So ethically permanent contraception counseling should support access for individuals who wish to use this contraceptive method 
but at the same time, it is imperative to safeguard against coercion or discrimination. Counseling that explores a patient's reproductive plans and places their wishes at the center of care is really essential for informed choice. So that counseling should emphasize the permanent nature of the procedure and provide information regarding alternatives, including LARCs, partner vasectomy, and short-acting reversible contraceptives. And if there is any doubt as to whether an individual is capable of fully understanding the permanence of the procedure and providing informed consent, or they are not seem to be certain of that decision, then sterilization should not be performed. The notion of consent is obviously extremely important when it comes to permanent contraceptive procedures. What are the key points that healthcare providers should keep in mind when discussing? The Supreme Court of Canada has ruled that only individuals who have the capacity to give consent can agree to have a permanent contraception procedure. So a proxy decision maker cannot consent to a permanent contraception procedure for another individual. Along another line, permanent contraception procedures can be performed for young um, women or women who have never had a child before, provided they are adequately counseled and capable of providing informed and voluntary consent. And some people are reluctant to do this, and that's because there is a risk of regret following a permanent contraception procedure, particularly among young and oliparous women. But we as healthcare providers should still place the woman's wishes at the center of care and avoid paternalism in these instances. Some permanent contraception procedures can be performed at the time of delivery or at the time of a pregnancy termination. What steps should a healthcare provider take to ensure that the patient is making a fully informed choice and has given informed non-coercive consent? So counseling and consent for a permanent contraception procedure at the time of cesarean delivery should be completed before the scheduled procedure or the onset of labor. And that discussion needs to be clearly documented in the patient's chart. Providing adequate, unbiased and non-directive contraceptive counseling during the antenatal visits ensures that the woman understands the procedure is permanent and is certain that she does not want to become pregnant in the future. Decision-making should include consideration of the risks and benefits of the procedure, alternative contraceptive methods, as well as contingency plans if there are unanticipated obstetrical complications. Of course, patients also have the right to change their minds, so it is important to reconfirm the patient's decision before proceeding with the procedure. There may be instances where a patient who is planning to deliver vaginally requires an emergency cesarean delivery and requests that a permanent contraception procedure be performed at the same time. Although there may be exceptional circumstances, permanent contraception procedures should generally be avoided when the request is made at the time of emergency cesarean delivery. It's recommended in these cases that you defer the decision to the postpartum period. In the case of abortion provision, that presents an opportunity to discuss future contraception. However, healthcare providers should also acknowledge that contraception might not be a priority for the patient at the time of consultation for pregnancy termination. Studies have found that some women report feeling pressured to choose a method of contraception at the time of abortion. So it is important that providers recognize that the patient may feel overwhelmed at the time and the discussion about contraception may need to be deferred to another time. Any final thoughts or take-home messages that healthcare providers should consider when discussing contraception with their patients? 
It is really important that we recognize the importance of having an individualized approach to contraceptive care. Healthcare providers need to avoid biases about race, ethnicity, socioeconomic status, culture, mental capacity, etc., that may influence the provision of contraceptive care. Highly effective methods such as LARCs and permanent contraception may be options for some individuals, but patient autonomy must be respected in the choice of method, including the choice to not use a contraceptive method or to use a less effective method. And we can't forget that individuals who use contraception must also be able to freely choose to discontinue using contraception, including a LARC, if they wish to do so. It is not about what we as healthcare providers think is best. It is about what the patient feels is the right plan for them. It really comes down to choice and autonomy. I want to thank our guest and those involved in producing this podcast. If you have any suggestions for topics or people we should speak with, please contact the SOGC at info at Until the next time, I'm Graham Smith. Be safe.